0: Amen. Well, we are in the gospel of Matthew, and for those of you that are joining us uh, today, what we're doing is uh, we're actually going to be going over uh, the second part of a uh, two-part message. And uh, it started here in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. And what we were talking about here is really the Lord's power over the devil and his demons. Okay, And I want us to really get a good understanding on the fact that the Lord has power over the devil and his demons. And this event that we were looking at, Matthew writes it down only to show us and to reveal to us, to the readers of the gospel, that Jesus, in fact... Is the Messiah. He, in fact, does have power over all. And as we look at this, right, he's going to show us here that he's going to deliver two men, two men who were possessed by demons. And I want us to know that no one else in the history of the world has power over Satan or his demons, but there is only one, and his name is Jesus. And, as I mentioned last week we're we're going over this study and and I 'm breaking down this study in four sections, okay, And the four sections had to do with the power of demons. Section number two, we were going to talk about the power of Jesus, which is we didn't get a chance to last week, and then today we'll also look at the response of the people as well as the response of the men that were healed. And so with that, let's go ahead and read, beginning there in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 8, and we'll go through verse 34. And it says this, it says, When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of demons. And he said to them, Go. So when they came out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the herd of swine ran violently down the steep, placed into the sea, and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled. And they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they begged Him to depart from the region. As we look at this, right, and, and like, as I shared last week, I mean, it's, it's awesome when we go verse by verse because we go into topics that, that, that we're, we usually wouldn't touch. And, and here is the topic of demons. Here's the topic of demon possession. And so we get into this topic now only because the, the scriptures move us to talk about it. And we're not going to go into the detail that we went into last week when it comes to the power of demons. If you want the full detail or the, or the whole study, you can always go on the website or you can purchase a CD for a dollar, whatever your desire is. But, but we went into an in-depth study on demons. And today, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you sort of a summary. okay? And so as we do this, let's, let's look at the demons and their power. Let's go ahead and read the first two verses and then we'll we'll talk about that quickly. It says here in verse 28, it says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon possessed men coming out of the tombs. They were exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What's happening here is that Jesus was on the other side. He was, you know what, he was in Capernaum and and he wanted to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which brought him into here, this country of the Gergesenes. And so he wanted to do this because I want you to understand this. Jesus was very concerned about two men. These two men that were here were demon possessed. And he knew their torture, he knew their suffering, and what he wanted to do is he wanted to bring them healing, right? He wanted to bring to end this possession, this affliction, this oppression. He wanted to end it all because these guys were going through a lot. And this really speaks of of the heart of Jesus, right? He knew that these two men were possessed by these demons and he he knew that it just wasn't one demon. He knew that there wasn't just one demon in each of these men, but they had many demons, and we'll get into the the details as to the amount of demons that they had in a few. And so, but when we look at this, right? How amazing it is when Jesus has compassion for these men that He's willing to go to a specific location to deliver the men. But not only that. He wanted to reveal himself to the whole city. He wanted the city to actually see him, his power, and to believe in him, right? That was his purpose. He wanted them to know who he is and to believe in him. And so as we talk about what he wanted to do, he wanted to display his power, okay? And in talking about his power... They understood the power of the demons. They saw the demons, right? They, Not the demons themselves, but they saw the men that possessed these demons that had great power. And as it says there, that they were exceedingly fierce. Okay? So as we look at this, right, we're talking about demons that are exceedingly fierce. Let's talk about the power of demons. And before we do that, I want to make sure that we all understand when it comes to the devil and his demons... That the devil and his demons cannot be everywhere at the same time. Okay, they are not like God. The devil can't be here and and be, you know what, in you know what, in 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 Uganda or 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 the Middle East. He can only be in one place at one time. Okay, he's not omnipresent. That is, that is actually a character of God, right? That, That is who he is. He can be everywhere at the same time, while the devil can't do that. And the only way for the devil to accomplish all that he does is to have an army of demons, okay? And this army of demons are really those that he sends out to accomplish his plan, to accomplish his will. And so when we look at this, right, we see that there are these men that are demon-possessed, okay? What does it mean to be possessed? It means that they took control of these men. They took control of these two individuals, okay? They inhabited the body of these people, of these two, and they took residence in the body of these two, okay? And as I shared with you last week, and it's only a quick summary, I just want to give you really just certain points on what the devil can do and what he cannot do, okay? And as we look at what he can do and what he cannot do, I'm going to give you six points. So if you want to write them down, you can. I think they're going to be up on the screen. So you, if I go too fast, because I am going to go quickly through these, you know, you can look up on the screen. The first thing that I mentioned to you last week, as far as what the demons cannot do, is they cannot possess a believer. A believer cannot be possessed by a demon. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14 through 16 to prove this point. The fact is, is that as Paul tells us, as he wrote to the church in in Corinthians there, is that he basically told them that Christ and the devil cannot dwell together. And he uses illustrations of light and darkness. And so, as we look at this, right, a born-again believer has the Spirit of God living in him. And if he has the spirit of God living in him, then he cannot have the spirit or these demons also living in him because Christ and the devil cannot dwell in one place together. And so that was point number one. Point number two is this, is that a believer can be influenced by Satan. So a believer can be influenced by Satan. And here we looked at really Peter, right? When Peter... In Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21, as he was influenced by the devil, he was trying to persuade Jesus not to suffer and go to the cross. And I want you to understand that this same influence that he had over Peter, because Peter was a follower, a disciple of Christ, understand this, that he also influences believers to keep you from doing what God has asked you to do what God is calling you to do what God is leading you to do whether in your walk or in the ministry and I gave you examples of this right how he uses people right family friends co-workers acquaintances that will influence you from doing the things of the Lord like they'll tell you why do you want to go to church today let's do this or you know what don't spend all your time over there right or I want you to do this with me today Or there's thoughts, the the enemy himself will influence you, right? He puts thoughts in your head, they pop in there all of a sudden, so that you don't do things that you should normally do, like, hey, you know what, I want to read the word, I want to pray, and all of a sudden you have a thought in your mind, something that immediately pops up and tells you, you know what, you should do something else. We use the example of Facebook, social media. Or going and watching the game. Or, or going here or going there. All of a sudden these things pop in your mind. So that you do not pray or read the word of God. Point number three. A believer can be hindered by the devil. We see in First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 18. That Paul wanted to visit the church of Thessalonica. But Satan hindered him. Okay. Satan hindered him. He wanted to encourage them because they were being persecuted. And he also wanted to remove the destructive seeds of false doctrine. But Satan prevented Paul from going there and encouraging them. And so what does it mean to be hindered? It means basically to to bring obstacles, okay? Satan will bring obstacles in keeping you from doing the work of God. Obstacles like changing your work hours, right? And if you don't say, you know what, or or, or stand up and say, hey, you know what, I can't work during this time or I can't do these things. And these are the obstacles that Satan brings. Why? Because he wants to draw you further from God. Okay. He brings obstacles like family, right? Obstacles that families make you choose between them or the body of Christ or the church or Christ. He brings obstacles from friends, right? Friends all the time, you know what? If you become a believer, I'm not gonna hang out with you. This is what Satan does. I want you to know. He did it with, with Paul, he he does it with us. Point number four as we move on. A believer can be tempted by the devil. Okay? A believer can be tempted by the devil. And we looked at James chapter 1, 13 through 15. How it talks about, you know what? James reminds us that God doesn't tempt us. It's the devil that tempts us, right? And why does he tempt you? Because he wants to bring destruction. At one time, he had you. At one time, you belonged to the devil. And his ploy is to get you back. When he lost you, he will bring sin to tempt you, to entice you. And as James tells us, when sin becomes full grown, when it becomes your lifestyle, it brings forth death. Okay? So that's what he does. Point number five. A believer can be persecuted by the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8 and 9. It reminds us of how persecutions come to believers, right? How sufferings come. And guess who brings these? The devil brings them upon the life of believers. He's like a roaring lion. That's what he describes them as, right? A roaring lion. And for us, we know that roaring lions bring fear, right? And when uh, a, a, a lion roars... You know what he he wants to devour, and this is what Satan does. He does this through persecution. What we've been talking about through temptation, through hindrance, through influence. Okay, and finally, we talked last week about about the sixth point was a believer can be oppressed. Okay, a believer can be oppressed, and we looked at Acts chapter ten verse thirty-eight. How you know what? How Luke, as he wrote this for us, how how as uh as it is written here that that jesus came right he came to to basically heal those who were oppressed by the devil and what does it mean to be oppressed it means to be harassed it means to be troubled by an evil spirit right that's what it means to be oppressed and we know that you know what we're not talking about possession here because there's a difference between possession where he inhibits and oppression where He just, as I mentioned to you, where He harasses you, right? It's, it's in your mind, where He troubles you. And I want you to understand, these are the times when you have evil thoughts. All of a sudden, you have evil words. All of a sudden, you have evil ideas. Even to the point of saying blasphemies against God, right? And all of a sudden, they come. They pop in your head. I want you to understand, these are injections of perversity. These are injections of blasphemies. And understand this, the devil doesn't want you to know this, is that we all have them, But he wants to isolate you thinking that you're the only one that experiences these things. We are not isolated when it comes to this. And we know this. sometimes when we pray, right, all of a sudden you have a bad thought. Where does that come from? You think it's coming from you? It's from the devil himself. He He places this, he injects you with a bad thought. And you're thinking, wow, where is that coming from? Well, understand this. This is the devil. Inge- evil injections, evil thoughts, evil words, they come from demons. Okay? But understand this. Sometimes these things become unbearable, but know this that it is God that has the victory over all of this. See, we must come to a place of believing that the Lord has set us free. This is what he says in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, when he stood before the temple there and he began to read from the book of Isaiah and he began to talk to them about how the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Okay? And so I want to give you, quickly, because this is so important to our walk, a clue as to how we can walk in victory and freedom, okay? And again, I give you four points. If you want to write these points down, great. If, if not, I don't think he's going to have them up on the screen, but I did mention them last week. The first point is this, do not practice sin, okay? Do not practice sin. If you want to overcome the attacks of the devil and his demons, Okay? Do not practice sin. Ephesians four twenty five verse twenty seven, it tells us that we open the doors to the enemy when we practice sin. Ephesians four twenty five through twenty seven explains to us how we open the door to the enemy when we sin. If we want the devil to go- leave us, then we look at James chapter four verse seven, where it tells us submit to God. Point number two, you submit to God. What does it mean to submit to God? It means that you will do as he says, okay, that's what God, that's how, that's how simple it is, the simplicity of the gospel, you do as Jesus says, you do as his word says, okay, and then we are called to resist the devil, okay, which is from 1st Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8 and 9, and it tells us, resist the devil, how can you resist the devil, especially when we were talking about these oppressions, right? When these, you have these evil thoughts, when you all of a sudden have these injections of blasphemies and perversities that, that come there, I want you to know this. It's real simple. And this is something that will really help you to overcome the attacks of the enemy. Remember I mentioned this. The purpose of the devil is to draw you further away from the Lord, right? That's his purpose, right? He doesn't want you drawing closer to the Lord. When He knows you're drawing closer to the Lord, He does everything He can to pull you back. So whenever you have these perversities, these thoughts, these oppressions, or whatever you're going through, influences, hindrances, all of these things that we've been talking about, when you get these, immediately you pray and you read the Word of God. And why do I say this? Because, see, if you begin to do this all the time, then guess what Satan's going to say, or his demons are going to say, Man, every time I oppress them, every time I hinder them, every time I influence them, guess what they're doing? They're drawing closer to the Lord. And if he knows that you're doing that, then he's going to get tired of it, because he doesn't want to draw you closer to the Lord. He wants to draw you what? Further. So it's important that as soon as you get these things, that you pray or you read the Word. And when you get these things, guess what? He's going to stop. It's gonna, it's, he's going to try a different plan on you. And so this is very key when it comes to our walk. The point number four was be unwavering, which is also in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. When he says, be steadfast in the faith. What does this mean? It means that we are to be strong and immovable in your faith. How can you be strong and immovable in your faith? Let me share this with you. Know your doctrine. It's important to know the Word of God. You are to be a student of the Word of God. This is what God wants us to be. You are to be a disciple of the Word of God. This is why we have discipleship classes. This is why we have discipleship classes for the men. And understand this, women. We are going to have discipleship classes starting in January for all of you. It's going to be both for men and women. It will help you. It will get you rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We want to make you strong in the Word, through His Word. It's not what we have to say, but through the Word of God. We need to understand what we believe and why we believe. There are reasons for demon possessions with non-believers. Remember, not for believers, but with non-believers. I mentioned one, practicing sin. Understand this, you practice sin. You're leaving a door open for the enemy. Practice of the occult. The the, the non-believers that are doing this, these mystical and magical practices, the Ouija boards, going to the psychics, having your palms read, even astrology and horoscopes. If you are reading horoscopes, stop it. This is opening doors for the enemy, non-believers. As believers, we shouldn't even be doing this. Okay? Drug usage for non-believers rebellion when you are in rebellion this opens a door for the enemy immoral practices all of these things open the doors for the enemy in verse 29 we saw that you know what that they knew who jesus was okay we talked about the knowledge of demons demons seem to have insight okay they they, they knew their destiny there as they're talking about you know what are you going to torment us before the time The time that they're talking about is the time that they will be thrown into the lake of fire, into into this place, right? And they have insight, and I mentioned to you, they have this insight. We know what's the end result for them, right? Because we have the book of Revelation. You and I have the book of Revelation, so we know the end result for the devil and his demons. But at this time when Jesus was casting out these demons from this man, the book of Revelation hadn't been written. But yet they know their destiny. Understand this. They know, they have certain insights just like us. How do they know things about you? I want you to know this. The demons intensely study Christians. They intensely study Christians. See, believers are a threat to their plans. Believers are a threat to their work. And so they intently study you. They watch you. They are there looking at your every move. They know you better than you know yourself. And then, as we looked at this, right, as we talked about this, you know, we talked about how these demons actually, when they came here, they actually, when they saw Jesus, they actually worshiped God. And let's look at Matthew to see his account as to how they worshiped him, right? Because here we, in, in Matthew, all we have is, is that, you know, they came to him and, and, and they just called him Jesus because they knew who he was, because Jesus created them. Remember, at one time, they were in the presence of God. They were in the presence of the Lord, so they knew who He was. In Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, Mark gives us the additional insight where it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, and he's only talking about one man, only because, the, the, what Mark gives us, just so you know, Mark gives us only one man because he gives us the conversations between this man and Jesus. There were two But Mark only gives us one as well as Luke because they record the conversation between the two. And he says, when he saw Jesus from afar off, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So it's very similar. But we see here the word worship. You know what this man did before Jesus? He fell on the ground and he laid prostrated on the ground. Remember, we're talking about the power of Jesus now. This is all power of Jesus over the devil and his demons. When he lied on the ground, understand this, this is a man that had many demons in him. When you think about this, right? The ones that you worship are usually someone that would be greater than you. And this is what we see here. We see the worship of the demons When it comes to Jesus Christ, they have to fall down. Remember, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? They must fall before the presence of the Lord. And that's exactly what they did. See, this was an act of worship. The demons were showing reverence and respect. And this is when we're going to get into now the power of Jesus. They knew that power. They understood that power. They worshiped this power. They didn't surrender to it. Remember, they knew who Jesus was, but they didn't didn't completely surrender to Him, right? And so as we see here, let's read now verse 30, and we're going to get now into the power of Jesus. It says here, Now a good way off, from them there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged Him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. And He said to them, Go... So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. You see the power of Jesus here. All he has to say is what? One word. And what do they do? They submit. They yield, right? And this is what's so awesome about the Lord. So let's get into some details here. Matthew lets us know that there's some swine okay and so as we look at this right they say there's there's they say there's this there's all of these there's a herd of many swine and as we look at this right i want you to know that jews are forbidding to eat pork they're forbidding they're forbidden to eat pork see they consider what pigs to be very dirty animals and so when we look at this right for us we would know that probably this This man uh, or or the the owner of the pigs was probably a non-Jew. He was probably a Gentile. And so Matthew tells us that there's many. But what catches my attention is the fact that they are begging Jesus. They are asking Jesus for permission to go into the many pigs. Okay. And so in speaking of the power of Jesus, I want you to know this is that demons must always ask Jesus for permission to do things. They are not at free will to do whatever they want. They ask permission to do certain things. Okay? They must get this permission from Jesus. And let me give you an illustration of this, so that you get a good understanding, even saying himself. See, he's not all-powerful like we believe, like many of us will say. He is extremely powerful, but not all-powerful. He's not like Jesus. He's not like God. He must ask Jesus for permission. And let's look at Job chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. As we look at Job chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. We see here Satan. We're going to see Satan that that goes to Jesus asking for permission. Okay. He must ask for permission. This is Satan himself. It's not just a demon. This is Satan himself asking for permission. Look at what it says. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, And from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, That there is none like him on the earth, A blameless and upright man? One who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Satan is basically challenging God, saying, Hey, the only reason why Job fears you is because you have a hedge around him. It says there, You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face and the Lord said to Satan behold all that he has is in your power okay only do not lay a hand on this person so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord so there God permitted Satan to go ahead and now attack Job which which shows us how Satan must ask permission, right? The demons ask permission of the Lord as to what they must do. We see this here, right? They're asking permission of Jesus, send us into the pigs. And Jesus says, go. Okay? When we look at Mark's account, okay? Because when you look at this account, right? It, it, Matthew doesn't really tell, tell us that That Jesus had told him previously that he was going to cast him out. But I want to look at Mark's account because Mark gives us additional detail. Look at Mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 8. Okay. He says there. For he said to him. To him. Remember we're only seeing the account of one man. Come out of the man unclean spirit. And then he asked him. Jesus is asking him. What is your name? And he answered him saying. My name is Legion. For we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the demons. I'm not sorry. That he, I'm sorry. That he would not send them out of the country. And now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, "Send us to the swine that we may enter them." And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 and the herd violently or the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Okay. So we see here in Mark's account that they begged Jesus that he would cast him out and and to please let him go into the swine. Right. But what Mark gives us versus what Matthew gave us is Mark gives us the amount of swine. And through this amount, we can see the amount of demons that were in these men. Okay? It tells us that they're all feeding, right? And I want you to understand that as they asked Jesus, right, as they asked him here in, in, in Mark, basically they, you know, as Jesus said, hey, you guys need to come out. Jesus asked him, what's your name? And so as Jesus asked him for their name, they respond legion, okay? I want you to understand what this word legion is. It is actually a Roman regiment. And what is a regiment? A regiment are soldiers, okay? So you have a Roman regiment that would have anywhere from 1,000 to 6,000 soldiers, so when you look at this, right, because they call themselves legion, we are given the insight that there were many, there were anywhere up to 6,000 demons, okay, but there weren't that many, and the reason I say there weren't that many is because Mark gives us the amount of pigs, okay, and so we can determine by the amount of pigs, how many demons were in these men, Mark tells us that there were about 2,000 pigs, 2,000 swine. So when you look at this, there is an estimation because all of the demons asked, every single one of them. in Mark's account says they all asked Jesus to allow them to go into the swine. So it's an estimated, we can believe here that there were possibly 2,000. So there would have been about 1,000 in each of these men. Imagine that, 1,000 demons in a man. The torture that they were going through. The suffering that they were going through. This is why Jesus said, this is enough. I am going to the country of the Gergazines to deliver these men. And this is what Jesus did. You know, as we see them, right? They're asking Jesus for permission. They're asking Jesus, we want permission. We need you to permit us to go there. Again, illustrating the power of Jesus over the devil and the demons. But I want you to leave this place, or I don't want you to leave this place without a greater understanding of the power of Jesus and the victory in Jesus. This is so important, okay, and I want you to, as we look at this, I want us to get a greater understanding of this, because see, the God that we serve is God Almighty. He is greater than anyone else. He has always existed. He has never been created. He always existed, and it, Everything is in His hands. He has power over all things. This is a God that we serve. But as we look at the devil and Jesus, we have here opposing parties, right? But remember, Satan is created. He was created as an angel. We talked about this last week. Until Satan entered his, his heart and he rebelled against him. But we have these two that are at odds with one another. And we know that God will have the victory. And we're going to see this Victory and this power in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. Look at what it says here. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? When we look at the, new, the NIV, which is not really one that we usually read, but, but when we look at the NIV, we have here a better translation for us. And I want to read this to you. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.15 from the NIV. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, which is what we read, and between your offspring and hers. And this is where the details that I want to give you. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head and he, and you will strike his heel. He's talking to Satan. Remember, this is after Satan has caused... Adam and Eve to sin. And so he's telling the devil here that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is from God. Okay. So let's talk about this enmity. We're going to talk about enmity here, right? We're talking about the enmity between the devil and the woman. Okay. The woman here would be Eve. But as we continue to read there, it talks about also the offspring of Eve so in other words, it's every single one of us that came after Eve. Adam and Eve are our parents. Our our, our 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 parents, right? We come from them. There's our father and mother. That's where everyone comes from. And because of of their sin, understand this, that that you know what we have this enmity, right? And and I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the woman, Eve, before she sinned, before she listened to the devil. Remember, Eve befriended Satan. Remember that, right? Satan would talk to her. And what would she do? She'd sit there and listen. See, she would listen to the devil. She befriended the devil, right? And so, once, I want you to understand, that as she befriended and listened to the devil, once she said, you know what? Once she realized what had happened, right? Right? Basically, she no longer, she no longer followed him. She no longer obeyed him, right? She now opposed him. See, because after the sin, she realized that, you know what, that there's a problem. God revealed this to her, right? They saw themselves naked. She realized that, oh no, what did we do, right? Now we see ourselves for who we are. And so immediately after that, She no longer follows him, right? Jesus ended up covering their skin with, covering their, uh, giving them clothes from an animal skin, right? As he paid the price for their sin, right? Temporary price. And so he clothed them with the animal skin. And so that they no longer followed his lead, right? They now followed God. And when this happened, understand this, that there was now opposition between the two, because, see, when she listened to them, they were friends But then after the sin, now there was opposition, okay? Now there was hostility between the two, okay? And when we look at this hostility between the two, understand this, is that this hostility continues to move on with all the followers of Christ. Her seed, right? Her seed, those that, that are born again. See, those that belong to God by faith in Jesus Christ, who were once followers of Satan... Remember, you and I, before we became born again believers, we listened to what he had to say. We weren't listening to the Lord. We were just like Eve, doing what Satan asked us to do. But immediately when we came to Jesus Christ, when we were born again, we now listen to who? We're now listening to God. And so now there's opposition as we're reading there. In There's enmity as we're reading in Genesis 3.15. There's enmity now between Satan and us. Because we're, we're no longer listening to his lies. And there's hostility that he has towards the people of God. I want to shift this now to God. See, when Satan caused Eve to sin, right? When he deceived her and, and Adam willfully sinned, I want you to know this. Is that he messed up the world that God created. He messed it up, right? He brought sin in and, and this is what we see today. He made a mess of these things, right? He made a mess of the world. And this is this is what we are seeing today. I want you to understand, none of us can be ignorant to what is happening in the world today. What you see now is just horrific things that are happening. And I want you to understand this. Things are going to get worse. There is a rise of evil because Satan knows that his time is coming. There is a rise of evil that will continue to escalate beyond what we can imagine, okay? And you see it now. You see it right before our eyes. You see it happening all over the world. I want you to understand that there is no absence of evil or hate in this world. You know what? We were sort of immune to it, but now it is in our face. And it is only going to be more hostile towards us as Christians, When you look at the killings that are happening in this world, you look at the bombings, you look at the murders, you look at the wars and the rumors of wars, you look at the mass killings by suicide bombers, you look at the immoral sex and the practice of it, the promotion of it. When you look at drugs and the promotion of drugs, when you look at the usage of drugs, all of this is just rising and growing and it is just becoming unbearable. And it's not going to stop. I want you to understand this, that sin is having a great party as we sit here. And what's happening in our world today is that, that when you look at this, I want you to know this, as Ezekiel, right, as Ezekiel said, I am the watchman, I am responsible for all of you. And I need to share this with you because I want you to understand that the Lord is coming soon. And for us that call ourselves Christian, if we are practicing sin, we need to stop it. You need to stop your practice of sin. You need to get right with Jesus Christ. We need to come to a place of understanding, allowing our eyes to be open, not to be spiritually sleeping. Because what happens when you sleep, you will be overtaken. And for us as believers, we need to understand what is happening around us. It is getting worse. It is getting ugly. It is getting bad. And you see what's happening in the world. Just turn on the news. That's all they're talking about. They're talking about terror. They're talking about fear. They're talking about death. And it is only going to escalate. And as we see this, right? As we see what's happening to us is that you and I have been called to share the gospel. You and I have been commissioned. But how can we share the gospel if we ourselves are also practicing sin. How effective can we be? You and I got to come to a place of making a choice, of making a choice for Christ, especially knowing that the Lord is coming soon. And this is what I'm doing. I am sharing with you that the Lord is going to take His church soon. And as we see this, right, as we see the escalation of evil... None I want none of you to be left behind. The rapture of the church can happen at any moment. And this is why you see evil rising the way it is today. ISIS is here. There you know what evil is here, and what's what's crazy is not only evil from ISIS, I mean, this is a demonically driven institution, people, religion. And they're, today, they're supposed to be at, I mean, there's threats that are going out that they're going to be in Atlanta, Georgia today at the WWE, right? The, you know what? They're supposed to blow up a stadium over there. This is the threats that's going on. And many Christians, we're just going about like nothing. We're not even praying about these things. We're just like, oh, wow, you know what? That's over there. It's not going to come here. It's going to come here. And we need to get right. You and I need to come to a place of making sure that our hearts are right with Christ. See, the only way that revival starts in our land is through you. You have to make a decision that, you know what, I'm getting right. I'm surrendering myself to Jesus Christ. I want to do things for you, Lord. You know what, we want to finish strong. And the Lord can take us out at any time. Guess what? Even in this building, someone can come and throw a bomb and we're gone. We're taken. And then and if we're practicing sin, then guess what? Where are you going? See, for us as Christians, we gotta get ourselves right. We gotta understand that Satan messed up the world. And when Satan messed up the world, when Adam and Eve handed over the deed of this earth to Satan, there was a war that was declared between God and the devil himself. And what's so amazing about all of this is where we're at today, is that God would send his champion. One day. And who is that champion that he would send as we're reading Genesis 3.15? He would send Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would be sent back into the world to defeat Satan, to conquer Satan, and to give us the victory over Satan. Jesus, yes, his heel was bruised. The heel of Jesus when he was put to death on Calvary was bruised. But as the writer, as Moses told us, as the Holy Spirit is telling us that the head of Satan would be crushed. And you know where the, of ha- uh, the, the head of Satan would be crushed? It would be crushed at the same place where Jesus' heel was bruised on Calvary. I want you to understand what crushed means. Crushed means to crumble. Crushed means to violently subdue the devil and his kingdom. Jesus will crush the head of the devil, And it happened on Calvary. You want me to show you how it happened on Calvary? When Jesus destroyed death by His resurrection, He crushed the head of Satan. When Jesus washed the sin by His blood, this is how He crushed the head of Satan. When Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and making a public spectacle of them, He did this on the cross on Calvary. When Jesus let the captives free from Hades and brought them into his glorious kingdom, this is what he did from Calvary. When Jesus sent his Holy Spirit and gave his people eyes to see the truth of God, this is what he did. This is how he crushed the head of Satan. And understand this, the destiny of Satan, he knows where it is. He knows that he will be bound for a thousand years. And this is why he is creating such a havoc today. He knows that His time is coming soon and there will be a place where He will spend a thousand years and not only that, He will be let loose one day and we will know and we will all see it where Satan and his demons will all be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever, never to come out again. This is how we crush the head of Satan and we must understand the crushing of his head gave us victory and power over him also. You know what's so amazing about all of this? Is that we serve this God that I'm talking about. This God belongs to us. You and I that are surrendered to Him that have come to Him by faith, understand that you and I are children of God. And the same power and the same victory that Jesus has is the same that you and I have. As we go back to these men, the torture that the men were going through, you know, to have these, de- these demons possess them. But we know that the Lord came to them. And we wonder why the demons would want to go into swine. Why would they want to go into the animals? They knew that, you know what, I mean, they like to possess men. They, they don't like to possess animals. They, they want to destroy us, right? That's who they want to destroy, the non-believers, But I want you to understand one thing. Why Jesus allowed them to go into the swine? Why is it that Jesus allowed them to go into the swine? I want you to know that Jesus wants us to learn one important principle. Is that demons destroy. Okay? Demons destroy. Everything they put their hands on, they destroy. Whether it be people's lives or animals, everything that they possess... It doesn't matter. They will destroy. And this was many of us, wasn't it? How many of us as we or before we came to know Jesus Christ were headed on this path of destruction? All of us, every single one of you, before you came to know Jesus Christ, you were headed in destruction. And you know why? Because you belong to the devil. And this is what he does. And this is what Jesus is showing us. And this is what God wants us to know. You know, as we are here, we're out of time. So I guess it's going to be a three-part series. We will talk about next week the response of the people and the response of this man or these men that were demon possessed you know as a watchman as ezekiel explained the watchman was there to make sure that the people knew when the enemy was at bay when the enemy was present the enemy is present The enemy is here. The enemy is in our backyards. It is a time for us to make things right with Jesus. Revival must start in us. There is going to be, and I truly believe, that there is going to be one final revival, an awakening that hits our land. And it could happen through maybe a catastrophe that happens here. But I want you to know this. See, people are still so blinded. As they see what's going on in the world, you would think that there would be thousands of people flocking to the church to make things right with Jesus. But you don't have that. People are just going on with their lives, thinking that, you know what, it's no big deal. People look at this on the news and see what ISIS and and see what's happening with Russia and and the Middle East. And they're just like, oh, wow, blinded, ignorant. But in order for there to be this revival, an awakening, awakening with these non-believers, revival in our hearts, it has to start with us. It must start with us. And if we want this revival, then we must make a choice for it, right? It's just not, you know what, okay, yeah, I want a revival. But no, you have to purpose and choose it in your heart. It just doesn't happen unless you desire and you choose it. And so what I'm going to do now, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want everyone's eyes to close. I want everyone's heads to bow. And I'm going to give you an opportunity now. If things aren't right in your life, this is between you and the Lord. It's not between anyone else here. Don't worry about any person that's next to you. Don't worry about any eyes that'll see you. This is about you and the Lord. If you know that you're not right with God and and you know that that you know what, that there is there isn't a zeal and a passion, that there are other priorities in your heart aside from Jesus Christ. And we want to make a decision today for Him to experience that power of God and the power that wants to be released one final time before He comes into this world. Then we must make a decision and a choice for it. And if this is you and you want to make this choice, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Revival starts within us. This zeal and this passion for Christ must begin in our hearts. If this is you, raise your hand. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? else? For all of you, Now raise your hands. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And this is so amazing. This is awesome. Stand up. Anyone else want this revival to begin in you? Anyone else stand up? Anyone else? Lord, you see these that are standing, and we know that it must start in us. It's a choice that we must make, and as we stand up, Lord, as we see everyone here, Lord, this includes myself, Lord, I want to have even a greater zeal and a passion for you than I've ever had. Lord, for our days are numbered, Lord. We know that life is but a vapor and we know that your return is soon. And so, Lord, I pray now as we stand up here before you, Lord, as we yield ourselves to you, Lord, as we humble ourselves and say, Yes, Lord, we are nothing without you, but with you we, are, we can do all things. I pray that you would fall afresh as we make a choice for you. I pray that, that, Lord, that you would just move within our hearts, Lord. That you would take just control of every part of our heart, Lord. And that you would become that priority. That you would become our passion. That you would become our zeal and that we would be contagious, Lord, that we would allow You to overflow from our lives, that people would see us and that they would know that we are not the same, that there is a light that comes from us, a light that's shining in this dark world. And so, Lord, just use us. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our our complacency. Forgive us, Lord, of our compromise. Forgive us, Lord, of our lack of prayer. Forgive us, Lord, of our zeal and our passion for You. Lord, take control of our lives and use us for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.